0: Hey guys, this is Ryan. Uh, During the recording of this podcast, I was out of town covering a rodeo for work and doing God knows what in the vast abyss of Wyoming, so I tragically did not appear on this excellent episode with horror author Betty Rocksteady. Uh, Also, quick trigger warning for this episode, Uh, there is heavy discussion of rape and sexual violence in relation to a couple of the movies that Betty and Quincy talk about this week, so definitely be aware of that. I will be back next week for your regularly scheduled rank and Vile brand nonsense. Thanks and enjoy Hey, welcome to Rank and Vile, the show where we're trying to rank every horror movie ever made from best to worst. So if you're new to the show, we have a list online uh, of all the movies we've seen so far and every episode we just take two or three movies and try to place them on our continuum from best to worst. Normally I'm joined by my co-host Ryan, but he is interviewing actual cowboys this week. So it's just me. But that's still cool because we have horror writer Betty Rocksteady with us this week.
1: Hey, Betty. Hey, Quincy.
0: Thanks for uh, coming on the show and talking to us. Yeah. So your first, uh, your most recent book is called Like Jagged Teeth. Uh, Tell our readers uh, about it uh, for those who haven't gotten to check it out yet.
1: Like ja- okay, um, Like Jagged Teeth is my novella, it just came out or came out a few months ago through Perpetual Motion Machine Publishing. Um, it's about uh, Jacqueline who is walking home after a really shitty party one night and some creepy guys start following her. But that's okay because her grandfather shows up out of nowhere to pick her up, except her grandfather's been dead for years. So that's kind of where it starts out. Um, it's inspired by... A, like, surreal kind of movies, like a Racerhead. There's a lot of surreal horror, and it's pretty emotional. And, yeah, I think it's pretty cool. I'm really proud of it.
0: Yeah, I'm reading it last night, uh, right now, and y'all need to check this out. It's on Kindle for three bucks, so you have no excuse not to read it, and it's a really quick read. Um, I will say that I read it while I was on the beach, and I had to take a break because, um, it was stressing me out too much, that it was so scary I had to put it down. Um, if you want another comparison, uh, I would say it's like Coraline, but fucked up.
1: Yeah, I like Coraline <laughs> a lot, so I can, I can see that comparison, yeah.
0: And what I'm really impressed with, and I wanted to ask you how you pulled this off, there is such, when I read it, I got such a tone of like, that heavy threat of sexual violence, and yet, you know, I haven't finished the novel, but as far as I tell, that doesn't happen. But it's like I wanted to talk about how you were able to tread on that, you know, space being a woman writer writing about this female character, and like, it seems like in so many horror movies, there's that almost a given oh this protagonist will be assaulted this will happen to her and I wanted to talk to you about you know how that you know you were thinking about that while you were crafting your novel
1: well I think like sexual violence is definitely something that comes up a lot in like horror fiction and horror movies like you're saying like it is always I mean there's only so many things you can threaten people with really like bodily harm insanity, murder, and sex, and particularly women are really vulnerable to that. Um, tension is really really important to me in writing and in anything that I, you know, if I'm watching something or reading something that's what usually impresses me and grabs me just any kind of tension. I want people to be stressed out reading, I guess. <laughs> um, I don- sexual tension wasn't huge on my list of things with jagged teeth actually. I know it did come through in a few places, Um, there's some scenes in particular I can think of, but it wasn't um, in the forefront of my brain to be totally honest.
0: Well, uh, yeah, so I don't know if I'm just being that goof. That's like, actually, you know, I'm going to tell you what your book's By no means am I like, let me tell you what your book's actually about Yeah, no, but
1: I think there's always that subtle threat in a lot of I mean, it's a girl alone with an old man for the whole book And he's changing and threatening So it is something that's going to be in the forefront of a lot of people's minds, I think
0: yeah, and I think, you know, with someone who's grown up watching horror movies like I have, and even some of the movies we're talking about tonight, like, it's just so, you know, it's such a heavily used trope that I think there's, it's really difficult when you have a female protagonist surrounded by, you know, a male Uh, antagonist who is threatening to not think, like, okay, that's gonna come into play.
1: And Jacqueline is so vulnerable for the whole book. Like, just everything about her speaks vulnerability, so that certainly comes into it, too.
0: Yes, and the way you trade on uh, guilt and female guilt was so fascinating to me because that rang uh, like that rang so true. It sounds like Jacqueline sounds like so many people I know oh, who are too. constantly operating under the everything is my fault and I'm gonna just apologize for you know existing. So you know, great job on that as well.
1: Yeah, I'm glad that came through. Well, yeah, I'm really glad that came through because that is something that I've always felt, and a lot of- I know a lot of my friends feel, I know a lot of people just- a lot of us deal- maybe it's a generational thing that we just feel guilty all the time.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Um, Another thing I wanted to ask you about is your illustration work. Uh, I noticed that you did the cover to your own book. And you also have a super awesome uh, print shop online with some really gnarly art. So um, did you start with art and then move into fiction? Or did you start with fiction and then move into art? Or is this kind of like a parallel uh, talent of yours?
1: They both kind of came at the same time. Like, I've always been drawing and writing since I was a kid, like it's just all, I think many people are like that, like it's the things you pick up when you're a kid that really stick with you. Um, so yeah, drawing and writing have always kind of gone hand in hand, and I really like um, I just like Clive Barker or Edward Gorey that kind of marry the two. Yes. So yes. Um, yeah, um, Ed Gorey in particular is an, like I love Clive Barker's work, but Ed Gorey stylistically is an inspiration to me. I like the way he draws or he drew. Um, so yeah, when I started getting serious, I got serious about them both at the same time too. Like I did my shop on Redbubble and started posting art online at the same time I started submitting stories. So they kind of went hand in hand the whole way. Nice.
0: Um, so let's start talking about some spooky movies. So the first one I wanted to talk about was, uh, Neil Blomkamp's new short Zygote, uh, this is on youtube if you guys want to see this this is under his um oats studios i think so it's called yeah. uh I, yeah so oats studios is this new project by neil blomkamp where he's doing uh spooky short movies uh that are kind of horror kind of uh sci-fi so betty what was your previous opinion of blomkamp before watching this short
1: Oh, I like him a lot. Like, I like, um, District 19, or, District 19, yeah, and, um, I like Chappie a lot, like, I just like him in general, he has a very consistent visual style, and, um, yeah, I think he's really cool. I actually, I didn't hear about the Oat Studios thing until we started talking about Zygote, and that night that I watched Zygote, I went through and watched all of them.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. We're going to have to get to the other ones in future episodes. Uh, the, the reason why this is kind of like was on the peripheral, I think on IMDb one day, like Zygote popped up as like a people are also watching this, you know, IMDb has a little like people also search for and then on my uh twitter feed and on the podcast's twitter feed everyone was starting to say like zygote is better than alien covenant and this is the best alien movie all year and stuff so I was like all right i gotta watch it and
1: it's pretty good yeah i thought it was really good um the effects were great like the creature was beautiful i loved it
0: yes i think the creature design is 100 percent the best part of this because it's it's that sort of like the first time you see it you're like but what is it and like even you know i have in front of me a screen grab of the creature and i'm just still staring at it and i'm like fascinated by
1: it that first um shot where like you don't know what's going on and then you just see all the weird hands for like a second and then it goes back to the other two. That was beautiful. It was so good.
0: Yeah, I, I really liked it.
1: Um, Did you
0: feel like this movie is... Good enough by itself, or does it just feel like uh, Blum Camp just lopped the last twenty minutes off of a script and just like made that?
1: I feel like it was really close in between that. Like I could um, I like a short film with like almost like a hidden backstory. Like you really feel like there's a larger world, there's more going on, and it almost achieved that. It was just hinting at a bigger world, but it fell a little short. And yeah, it did feel kind of not like the whole movie
0: yeah and i kind of liked that there was that whole like review do you think it's a spoiler to talk about um dakota fanning's like the big reveal or do you think that's minor enough that we can we can share it
1: i don't know i want to talk about it Okay, so So that's good enough for me. (laughs) So it it, it's definitely
0: to me it feels like Neil Blomkamp was like, all right, I can't make that alien movie because they took it away from me, so I'll just do it in this. So like the big reveal is Dakota Fanning is supposed thinks she's a. android like in all the other alien movies how there's the android character and at the end the captain who's trying to keep her alive says actually you're a real person and we just tricked you into thinking you were a robot your whole life because you're just a kid and that's why you have to live is you're not synthetic at all um i liked that it was easy enough to understand that it didn't feel shoehorned in because right now i started reading uh the ghost in the shell manga have you ever read that i haven't no it is exhausting the amount (laughs) of backstory and shiro the guy who writes it uh fills it's a comic book and he fills the margins with marginalia that further explain it so it's like i just want to read This story. And he's like, but now let me explain this. And like, even to the point where he's like, actually, the angle of the guns in this panel. Are wrong because you know this group is surrounding the hostage, and if they shot them, they would shoot each other. So just saying. So it's like he's just nitpicking his own stuff, yeah, no, and it's that's like just stop Totally it.
1: exhausting. <laughs> um, I, I like I hate backstory. Backstory bogs down a lot of stuff, and a lot of times I think it's a lot more powerful when you just hint at it and yeah. let the reader or the watcher fill in the rest. Um, as far as Zygote, that reveal had no power to me.
0: Yeah, it's um, not because a Because
1: I've only seen her for, like, five minutes. It, you know, <laughs> it doesn't matter to me if she's a human or not, and I don't know how much it matters to her, because I don't really know her. Because um, it, it was kind of... I don't think it was that close to the end. It was kind of, like, a little over the middle of it, because there's still a whole bunch of stuff happened after. So, yeah, it yeah. wasn't much of a reveal to me.
0: Yeah, it, it, it... Okay, so if you were online in two or three months and uh, or even, you know, we're nearing Comic-Con season, if you're reading Comic-Con recaps and they're like, oh, by the way, Zygotes getting a full length release, they're going to take this movie and make it a full one. Um, how excited would you be to see it after seeing the short film? Um,
1: well, I certainly wouldn't be surprised, because it does feel like a setup for a bigger film. Yeah. Um, I, would de- I would definitely see it. Um, I don't know that I would go crazy with excitement, because I don't know how much more there would be to tell. Right. Um, if it was a movie more inspired by it, about different characters in dealing with this same thing, maybe? I, don't ne- I wouldn't need a retread of those two characters though
0: yeah that's kind of how I feel too like those characters are done and like I would I'd watch something else with that creature or something approximate to that creature because you know I the care the creature design is like excellent like I'm kind of at a loss for words about how good it is (laughs) like kind of starting to think now that like it's better than a lot of the creature design like the creatures on this list even (laughs) but i don't know does a creature carry it enough to say like the whole thing is amazing or is it just like an okay story with a really good single concept
1: it's somewhere in between that for me like it's not an either or it was cool it wasn't even the coolest of the oats films or the Oats studios thing so i like the other two longer ones better like um firebase was excellent.
0: Yeah, I read the the synopsis for that one. We're gonna have to come back to that on this podcast.
1: I was going crazy watching that one. I was going nuts. It was right up my alley in so many ways. Um, But yeah, the Zygote was cool and I would, you know, people should watch it, but I don't know that I would I don't know. It, It definitely didn't feel complete. I found the ending a little underwhelming. Um, The hints at the light aliens were kind of interesting, whatever was going on there. But yeah, it doesn't... Even another 10 minutes might have made it make a little more... Yeah, and,
0: and I really do feel like it was, you know, okay, this is this film spec that he was workshopping and no one picked it up so it's like I'll just shoot it and put it on YouTube for free and definitely you know let a couple people tweet that it's better than the new Alien movie and then (laughs) that'll get me a lot of hits did you get to watch the cooking show on the Oats channel
1: (laughs) those were weird (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) so uh, what are they I can't remember what they're called now cooking with
1: Bill I think
0: yeah cooking with Bill um You guys need... I don't know if those will go... I don't think those can go on the list because they're not really films. They're just, like, short jokes. But they're, like, old uh, style, purposely made to look like VHS found footage of this guy cooking on, like, a call-in show, cooking with Bill. Uh, My favorite is uh, sushi because the machine that they use adds... Hair into it for some reason, and then he I makes thought, himself eat it.
1: I thought it was the woman's hair; like some of her hair got into it somehow.
0: I think that's what it is. It's like a very Cronenberg—you know—a hair got in with the fly, and then that's just what. <laughs> is
1: that. Yeah, that they were all very weird.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so let's rate Zygote. Um, I it reminds me most of the short film shallow water because shallow water feels like the last 20 minutes of a full-length feature and zygote also feels like that uh i think this is better than shallow water but i'm wondering if zygote is better than the short film he took his skin off for me
1: um I, he took his skin off for me uh, i didn't love it i i It felt like an extended metaphor more so than a story to me. Like, it was cool, and the imagery was cool, and, like, it felt very emotional and stuff, but Zygote at least had more of a solid plot to me, where that was just kind of a rambling one.
0: Yeah, I feel like Zygote is the Hollywood blockbuster of short films, and He Took His Skin Off For Me is the meandering independent art house
1: Absolutely. Film. Yeah. And like it was cool for what it was, but it's not really my jam. I like a little bit of plot.
0: Yeah, and I just feel like the character design is going to edge out because even mm-hmm. like the actions like she cuts that arm off to use the the scanner and just like, you know, switches because the monster's hand is multiple bodies stitched together she just keeps rotating like she has a ring of keys like that's just so good and
1: like when it would collapse and kind of pull itself back up in such a strange motion
0: yeah yeah cool
1: looking definitely
0: so uh... the next movie that i would say it's it's really got a contendership with would be house of a thousand corpses
1: I would keep it in close around there then. Um I like Coast of a Thousand Corpses a lot, but it's again fuller.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's definitely fuller. Um have you gotten to see Night of the Slasher yet? I haven't, no. Oh, it's so good. Um I would actually say that Night of the Slasher it it should go between House of a Thousand Corpses and Night of a Slasher. That puts it in the top 50. That puts Zygote in the top 50 because Night of a Slasher is just like retreading like slasher tropes. And this is actually, I think, adding something new to the horror conversation. It's kind of like this new creature feels like something I haven't seen a lot of. So I think it, it should go as our new number 50.
1: Totally. That sounds good to me
0: all right so zygote is coming in at number 50 right under house of a thousand corpses um and if you are so i always make it a big point for our listeners if you haven't listened to older episodes you don't have to go back and listen to all of them to catch up with this show Uh, we are always upgrading our equipment and always getting practice so just hey, if you haven't seen Night of the Slasher, uh, that's on Vimeo or somewhere online. You can Google that one and find that one too. It's super good. So speaking of innovative movies, uh, the next movie we're going to talk about is a screener given to us by AMP International. It is Ryan Prouse's uh, feature-length debut, Low Life.
1: Low Life was so cool.
0: I love this movie. I'm super excited to
1: talk to you about it. I've never seen anything like it before.
0: Yeah, it's really fun. And like I was watching it and thinking, I don't know if this belongs on this list. It's not a horror It's not a but... horror movie,
1: no. But it's weird enough sometimes weird and exciting kind of edges into horror for me just because i think everything i like is horror i don't know it doesn't make sense
0: yeah well i think at the very least it's horror adjacent or it's got like horror roots like the movie poster is like the virgen de guadalupe uh virgin of guadalupe but it's like a corpse with you know that's been cut open Mm -hmm. because okay so the plot of this movie is a crime boss who Betty is—he wearing women's blouses from the eighties <laughs> with shoulder pads.
1: I think he might be. Yeah, it was definitely <laughs> a really good look, whatever it was.
0: <laughs> yeah. So this crime boss, who's like your grease ball, who's wearing women's clothes and gold chains, is running an organ uh, harvesting scam where he's in—he's in collaboration with. I, okay so is the guy actual ICE or is he just pretending to be ICE?
1: I, I'm not entirely I didn't quite pick up on that
0: Yeah so maybe the guy is actually working for immigration or maybe he's just wearing an immigration suit uh, uniform to to make an excuse to uh, arrest people and then cut them up to use them for the illegal organ trade
1: Yeah, I think that's more likely
0: yeah so that's going on it's happening in this really cheap dirt motel and the the manager is trying to get an organ for her husband so like the movie starts like the credits roll over them actually dissecting a woman and putting her organs in coolers and sending them off on delivery for people that need you know kidney and lung and liver transplants
1: and the effects were great everything looked really good yeah, like they, well, not cheesy at all. Like some of the stuff about the plot, if you just described it to someone, it might sound cheesy, but nothing about the movie looked cheesy. It was played straight, and it was really cool.
0: Yeah, I think it's a really strong ensemble cast too, because really it is. This guy has this scam going. Um, the woman who owns the motel that everyone is being arrested from is trying to buy an organ from this guy. Uh, The guy's daughter is... The guy's adoptive daughter, which I'm not going to reveal that twist about what we find out about that, is dating the guy's enforcer, who is a disgraced luchador named El Monstro the Monster. He is so good. He's so perfect, and the fact that he speaks in Spanish the entire movie, and they just sub him... Except for that, it makes when he speaks in English perfect because yes. it's just like. By the way, this is El Monstro on the phone, and he hangs up the ba- <laughs> like that part where he hangs up the payphone.
1: Yes, <laughs> and the fact
0: that like El Monstro is obsessed with this wrest- this luchador lineage, and like uh, Betty, have you ever watched any of the luchador horror movies? I like haven't. I movies? I
1: didn't even know that was a thing. No, I haven't. So
0: so there's this long tradition of like El Monstro being passed on from generation to generation, uh, Mexican wrestlers, especially El Santo and Blue Demon, uh, pass their mask on to their sons and their grandsons and all that. And it really is that they starred in, like, movies where they're superheroes. So, like, uh, El Santo fights vampire women or, like, (laughs) witches or, like, the Cyclops. So, like, the part of the movie where the guy walks up to El Monstro and says, if you're really El Monstro, cure my cousin's brain tumor. Like, that's not too far off from, like, folk hero talk of some luchadors.
1: Yeah, because I could definitely tell it was referencing something. And I looked up El Monstro because I was like, maybe this is, like, a thing. Maybe he's a legend or something, but no. But, okay, that makes sense now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and then... um, so, El Monstro, also the fact that he flies into blind rages. I loved and, the
1: blind rages. They were, And it just went silent. It was beautiful. It was so perfect.
0: And then the cartoonish gore that accompanies that. The fact that he rips that guy's hand off and wakes up with the guy's hand. in Holding the guy's severed hand and just, like, throws it into the dumpster. Like, it's no big deal. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and the other guy bashes his head completely into nothing.
0: Yeah, like like um so one of my favorite movies is Drive with Ryan Gosling.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And all I want is for someone to love me enough to stomp a guy's head into pulp like (laughs) Ryan Gosling does in that (laughs) elevator. And this El Monstro pulping that guy's head almost comes close. It's like that perfect kind of scene where, yeah, it's like, and the best part is you don't see it. It's like the camera cuts and then you just see El Monstro laying on the ground surrounded by gore and destruction.
1: It's definitely more powerful (laughs) that way
0: than just showing you the
1: same thing every horror movie shows you it shows it to you in a way that changes it a little
0: yeah oh and then our final group are the uh so there's the girl that's the drug that's the organ uh smugglers and harvesters daughter is pregnant with el monstro's baby and she wants to run away and um The guys that have been hired to kidnap her to steal her organs are a guy and his uh, a black guy and his best friend who just got released from prison and while in prison got a swastika tattooed (laughs) on it the middle of his face the
1: hugest swastika you can imagine
0: (laughs) and that guy is like i think el monstro is perfect but that guy is just purely delightful
1: yes those are definitely my two favorite characters in the movie they're
0: good. The fact that throughout the movie he acts like it's not a big deal, that he he's like, I'm not a racist. Stop calling me a Nazi. I'm not a Nazi. But never explains
1: that. (laughs) Just like... Like just nobody understands them. It's nothing to do with being a Nazi. I just have a huge swastika on my face.
0: It's just so good. So, of course, like all it's basically a crime thriller but it's got all this like horror DNA. Like these luchador horror movies and like the gore of like you know the whole thing takes place in a basement that's kind of saw-like and like apparently the the organ smuggler is also running a a child sex ring and like that's in these dungeons and like the you know it's just all these different horror tropes but in a crime thriller like it kind of felt like quentin tarantino but better
1: Yeah, definitely. It would have only taken a very slight tweak to make it full-on horror. It was that close.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's playing at a lot of horror festivals. So, looking at our list, uh, where would you want to put it? Because it's kind of, it's a weird-ass movie, and I don't really know know if it goes really high, or in the middle, or, like...
1: I'd put it somewhere like in the... High twenties, early thirties, maybe. Like it was really cool.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we have um Candyman on the list as thirty-one.
1: It's so hard for me to put something above Candyman. <laughs> like That's I, I'm a what big I'm thinking Candyman too. fan. Yeah, and it's it's yeah. Candyman's very classic and very. Yeah, no, I don't know. I'd put it above Candyman. <laughs>
0: So, like, about ten spots lower is The Devil's Rejects. I...
1: Hmm. What do you think? I I like it around there. See, I like
0: this movie more than The Devil's Rejects Mm -hmm. because it's so new and interesting. Yeah. And I have... I can't rewatch The Devil's Rejects. I've tried for this show, and every time I just get to the hotel where they're torturing (laughs) that band, and I said, I'm done. I've seen this once. I don't need to see it again.
1: Yeah, This movie,
0: I want to see over and over and over again, and I cannot tell y'all listening at home enough, you've got to see this movie when it comes to a festival or when it gets a um, VOD release, Rent, Low Life. It's so good.
1: Okay, what about um, Hellraiser 2, then?
0: So, I'm always a sucker for a movie thats that doesn't take itself too hyper-seriously. And Hellraiser 2 is so serious, it's almost
1: comical. <laughs> I love Hellraiser 2. It's one of my Yeah, jobs. it's really great, but like... <laughs> yeah, it so is very hard. serious.
0: <laughs> now, did you see Neon Demon?
1: I haven't seen it yet, no.
0: Okay, so I think this movie is definitely better than Neon Demon because Neon Demon gets kind of um, eye rollingly bad at points. Like, mm. it tries to be so serious, you're like, okay, come on. But, so I think it's definitely above that. And the, now it's like, is it better than Hellraiser 2?
1: For me, it wasn't. Yeah.
0: So, what do you think that Hellraiser 2 has that Low Life is missing?
1: There's something just about the um, background that Hellraiser 2 brings up, like the lore kind of. Yeah. That really like sits with me, and I'll always remember it. Whereas um, Low Life definitely was a really strong movie, but it doesn't have that same vivid background. Like there's something about Hellraiser 2's interpretation of hell with like the labyrinths and that what was the thing called that big thing in the sky that made the oh weird the noise? leviathan yes <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> i know all that kind of stuff the imagery of it really sticks with me um so the imagery of low life didn't hit me in quite the same subconscious way i guess
0: and there's something to be said about hellraiser 2's creature design oh, like yeah. those effects are really good and now i want to um,
1: re-watch it because it's been a while and i i love that movie <laughs>
0: I think last I checked, it's still on Netflix, so you can totally uh, check that out on Netflix. But you know what? That would make Low Life number 35, and that's pretty good for a movie that is debuting this month.
1: Has that director done anything else?
0: He's done some short films. Cool. Uh, Ryan Prowls has done uh, another kind of kind of horror, kind of thriller called Narcorito, which is about um, a Mexican folk singer who sings about drug runs, but he is writing his songs based off of his own experiences and kind of like the chickens come home to roost. And I think he might be adapting to that, that to a feature length. But... Uh, that would be cool. Yeah, that sounds really good. And I think there's maybe like one or two other short films. I'm definitely gonna be watching everything that Ryan Prouse does from now on because it's super good.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. So he's like brand new and already doing super cool things.
0: Yeah, and that's another thing is like if this is his first feature film, imagine what his second or third yeah. is gonna be. It's, it's really challenging to put new movies on this list, because it's like, okay, how do you compare this movie that dropped this month compared to Hellraiser 2?
1: Yeah, exactly. Or, like, anything <laughs> that you've seen, like, hundreds of times. and yeah. yeah.
0: But I feel like this would hold up in, like, multiple watchings the same way that, like, you know, Quentin Tarantino's Four Rooms is really fun to watch over and over again. Like, I think it's just... The characters are so enjoyable, I want to spend more time with them.
1: Yeah, no, I would definitely watch it again, too. It would definitely hold up, I agree.
0: Yeah, definitely more than like, I don't need to see the Neon Demon again. <laughs> so, Low Life comes in at number 35. So speaking of movies with characters slash actors that we want to spend a long time with, uh, talk to me about Demon Knight.
1: Demon Knight is one of my favorite movies of all time. It was the first horror movie that I ever thought was really cool. Like, I used to watch horror movies before that, but just like to make fun of them. Like, I had, I think, Frogs. I don't know if you've ever seen that.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I just wanted—I like to watch horror movies and talk shit about them. So I bought Demon Knight from the flea market, uh, VHS for two dollars, with that intention, and I just fell in love with it. I was like 13 or 14 or whatever I was, and from that was the movie that changed me into a true horror movie lover. I think.
0: Yeah. Did you watch Tales from the Crypt? as a kid or was that show a little too much for you
1: i read i read some of the comics and i watched the cartoon of tales from the crypt i hadn't gotten into the uh the live action show until a couple of years after that
0: yeah um tales from the crypt keeper the cartoon traumatized me as a child (laughs) i actually had intrusive thoughts and nightmares about the cartoon version um and the actual Crypt Keeper for a long time really, you know, freaked me out He's to the point creepy. where, yeah, to the point where like I think Demon Knight had a print ad campaign in comic books, and like I had to get my mom to cut the back covers off of my <laughs> Star Wars comics because they had the Crypt Keeper on them, and I, like I couldn't have it in my house. I love that. <laughs> yeah, but now you know, it's like it's like that what didn't kill me now makes me stronger kind of thing where like now i'm obsessed with tales from the crypt and like i'm a huge fan of the show this is the first time i've ever watched this movie it is (gasps) you're kidding (laughs) amazing no no because again it freaked it freaked my shit out so much i was like i don't need to see the movie because basically the movie is what could we not do on hbo with our budget and an hour you know how can we ramp that up for a movie
1: Demon Knight is perfect. Like, Billy Zane in Demon Knight, like, I would totally, like, when he's being like, hey, I'm going to take you to, you know, come to hell with me instead, and it'll be, oh yes, I will come to hell with you. That's fine. You are the most <laughs> yes. charming man alive.
0: <laughs> Look, I'm a happily married man with a kid, and I'm like, I get it.
1: Yeah, no, and I feel like I see it's what's un- going on. <laughs> I feel like it's universal. I don't even mean it as, like, I'm a girl, he's a guy. I mean, like... You are very convincing. <laughs> and
0: the fact that he is presented at the beginning of the movie as the hero. Yes. So, like, you see him and you're like, okay, he's the protagonist because this other guy's coded with his black biker jacket and his Mm -hmm. fingerless gloves he's obviously the villain and billy zane's
1: got that smile so he must be good
0: (laughs) right exactly he's got that smile he's charming the sheriffs and then he punches that motherfucker through his head
1: (laughs) and gets his hand stuck
0: (laughs) oh it's so good (laughs)
1: yeah um the weird green demon blood was good too
0: Yes, the Dayglow demon blood, and even that prologue where it's like the classic Tales from the Crypt with like the sloppy swamp meat man trying to murder the girl in the bathtub. Yeah. All the effects in this movie are really good for the time that they came out.
1: Oh yeah, like they're really bright and like aware of themselves, but they look cool. I just think everything about it's so cool. Um, Jada Pinkett Smith is in it, and she's a total badass.
0: I didn't realize that that was Jada Pinkett Smith.
1: It is. She was she, I don't think She's I've so
0: good. Her.
1: I know. I don't think I've seen her in anything else, actually. But um, she was great in this. Like, she's just a little badass.
0: Yeah, she kicks so much ass. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dick Miller as Uncle Willie. Dick Miller just, anytime he's a dirty old man,
1: just... <laughs> Yeah,
0: You know, some people find their groove and they just stay in it as long as they can.
1: And even, like, the plot line for it is super solid.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's also one of those movies that's got this, like, really complicated lore that could almost kill the movie. But uh, they do it with those flashbacks in a way that doesn't make it really obnoxious.
1: Yeah, no. And the flashbacks were all, like, interesting and... Quick, like it wasn't a whole lot of filling in the backstory, and it was just enough and just at the right times, so you know what was going on.
0: So, what's so fascinating to me is Ernest Dickerson directed this, and he doesn't really direct a lot of
1: horror. I'm actually not familiar with any of his other stuff, which is bizarre because usually I do look up directors for things I like.
0: So he directed Juice, which. Full disclosure, I've never seen because I'm a white boy from Tennessee and Juice just wasn't, you know, my lane. Uh, But I'm definitely going to check it out. He's done a lot of TV. Um, He did Bones, which is like the Snoop Dogg ghost movie. Um, But other than that, it's just like a lot of TV credits. Yeah, he did
1: like The Walking Dead, some Walking Dead and Under the Dome, Sleepy Hollow, those kind of shows, Dexter a little bit.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. But, like, mostly that not a whole lot of feature credits, which, like, I guess I get TV because it seems like TV is kind of where it's at right now. You can do a lot more adventurous stuff.
1: He must have just figured that he had already made the perfect film with Demon Knight <laughs> and there's just nowhere to go from there. Go to TV. Yeah, you know uh,
0: Ernest Dickerson wept when he
1: <laughs> made he had...
0: Demon Knight because there was no more land to conquer. No,
1: he's like, Well, there's my Magnum opus. I'll just like make a couple bucks off T V and call it a day. <laughs> yeah, sure.
0: <laughs> so this is like super nineties of a movie. Oh yeah. Does that hurt it when we look back on it today or does that actually make it fare better on this list? I don't think it hurts it. It doesn't
1: hurt it at all for me. But again, like I've been watching this movie semi regularly since I was like fourteen, but to me it holds up really well. Like it's always fun every time I watch it. Yeah. It doesn't feel dated in the way that some others do. I mean, yeah, it's nineties, but it doesn't feel it doesn't make me feel queasy with nostalgia or anything. But yeah, I feel like
0: all Tales from the Crypt did that really well. Like, the hair is very clearly 95, and, like, Roach is, one, he's called Roach, but two, <laughs> it's like, you t- you can tell he's a scumbag because he's wearing a flannel shirt tied around his and waist. And he's got, like,
1: that dirty blonde hair Wow. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And,
0: yeah. And also he beats women, but, you know, that's well,
1: kind of... <laughs> you know, that's secondary to the dirty hair. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Yeah, so <laughs> like you didn't need to see that part to know that he was the guy that's gonna be like yeah, the you, total. You knew it guy. even
1: if you didn't see it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, how would you compare this movie to Event Horizon?
1: Oh, those are both like good. 90s movies, definitely. Um, right?
0: That's where this—that's where things get real on this podcast. We're just cutting to the quick, you know, which is better.
1: Um, I like Event Horizon, but not as much as I like Demon Knight. Yeah. It doesn't, um, I found it draggy in some bits, and I don't know, Demon Knight feels really tight and together for me, and it's always fun, where Event Horizon, like, I'll probably get kind of distracted if I'm watching it for the fourth or fifth time
0: yeah and you know i think part of that might be the fact that dickerson you know is a good television director because this feels like just a big budget episode of tales from the crypt and i kind of want that for my tales from the crypt movie oh
1: my god yes yeah
0: so it's like okay this is exactly what i came for this it's even got the really bad puns at the beginning and the end with the Cryptkeeper. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing that makes me cringe is some of the CGI work. Like, you know, I wish they had just kept practical effects. Like,
1: yeah, I always, I almost always had... wish that. Yeah, you
0: know, I would be fine to settle with like the demons look a little bit more human like if it just meant I could get guys in rubber suits instead of those like C- those really weird CG like walking.
1: Guys. I really liked. Um... When he first grew a couple of the demons out of the ground though, those ones looked really cool.
0: Yeah, and those multiple shots. It wasn't like a quick, here's this happening. It's like
1: They were here's weird this happen- and yeah. gross and like very organic looking. They were cool. So, what do you think
0: about Black Christmas from 1974?
1: I'm actually I'm not a huge Black Christmas fan. Um that's it's fair. been yeah it's, a, it's been it's a long a time, time since... watch. <laughs> yeah it's just not very fun and a movie doesn't always need to be fun to watch for me but that one just it was very dark it was filmed very dark and it was just hard it was it just not a fan but yeah um, it
0: looks like it's it's just to describe that movie in you know three or four words it's Sex grunts, brown wood grain.
1: Oh my god! Those yes, <laughs> those are indeed the words.
0: And like that's that's kind of like uh, the next movie we're gonna talk about. Like what I had trouble with Hounds of Love is like it just got so dark. I was like, I can't do this for another thirty minutes. And like so, I think Demon Knight is definitely better than Black Christmas. Yes, but. Right above Black Christmas is maybe my new favorite slasher movie, The Mutilator. Have you had the pleasure of seeing this movie?
1: No, I haven't.
0: Oh, it is a delight. It's it's chef kiss so ridiculous. It's got this um uh this is the part where we're gonna have to edit the um out of the
1: (laughs) podcast. But anyway,
0: mutilator is so good because it takes what's really boring and adds a really good song to it and the kills are really original and it's really fun
1: okay cool that sounds good
0: but i'm such a big fan of siege movies in general people locked up in the house you know that's the whole zombie movie trope it's mm-hmm. like we're in the house we're fighting the inv- kind of home invasion kind of thing.
1: I love any kind of movie where everything takes place in one area, or most of yes. the movie does. Like Anything where people are stuck anywhere. Um, I love that.
0: So, right above The Mutilator, although like I'm kind of having trouble going a little higher, is Blue Ruin and the Rocky Horror Picture Show.
1: Yeah, I'm comfortable with Demon Knight in this company, so like right somewhere around there makes sense to me. Yeah. In fact, Rocky I've, Horror Picture Show and Demon Night were right the same time for me, the same time period of my life that I would watch those both over and yeah. over and over.
0: <laughs> um I feel like Blue Ruin has more to say. It was like cuz it's such like a, con- a conversation about violence and revenge and mm-hmm. like revenge, you know, not working and not getting us anywhere. But like I think demon knight is also just really fucking fun mm-hmm. like i want to eat a pizza and watch demon knight and have a good time
1: mm-hmm. oh yeah it's perfect um yeah, yeah put it like right in around blue Rune is cool
0: yeah so i'm gonna say right below blue ruin and right above the mutilator but really that's like by the skin of its teeth because the mutilator is the best <laughs>
1: No, I feel very good about that placement.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about Hounds of Love because, man, it was hard for me to watch.
1: Really? See, I kind of liked it. I have this weird thing where I just find it really interesting, those kind of cases where people kidnap someone and keep them locked up somewhere in secret. It's just, it's kind of my thing. So this movie really worked for me. Yeah, Um, it is
0: like, it's such true if you're a true crime fan you will love hounds of love
1: yeah very much like uh the colleen stan girl in the box case i don't know if you're yeah. familiar yeah um where they had kidnapped her and kept her for years and told her all sorts of weird stories about um how there is a bdsm company running the world and if she ran away it would get her and do worse things to her it was really a very strange case but anyway the movie reminded me of that
0: yeah, so Hounds of Love, uh, we got a screener provided to us by our friends at Aero Films. If you're in North America, or at least in the U.S., it's on VOD. Uh, Betty, can you get this on VOD in Canada, or has it not got a Canadian release yet?
1: Uh, I didn't check. I used the screener.
0: Okay so it's on VOD. Um, the UK release is July 28th so if you happen to have found this internet and you're in the UK uh, this should be coming out like right when this podcast drops. Um, but yeah, Hounds of Love is a true crime thriller about a schoolgirl who is kidnapped by two serial killers and is tied to a bed and assaulted. Uh, and, you know, I definitely understand. I, I just realized this entire episode is going to have, we're going to have to uh, edit in the biggest trigger warning for, like, the whole hour, hour and a half episode.
1: Oh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> because it's just, like, oppressively, and it's just, rape is omnipresent in this show.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of the nature of horror, <laughs>
0: yeah that's true and i think maybe that's the problem is like i like horror but murder sex is not why i like horror and i kind of get tired of so many horror movies being like i'm stabbing this woman and now a lingering shot at her breasts being covered with blood and like surprisingly hounds of love was actually kind of Dare I say, tasteful rape scene? Yeah, uh, no.
1: I was gonna mention that. Help me out that. here, because
0: I feel like I'm digging a hole. <laughs>
1: no, um, I actually definitely agree because it implied it, and you definitely felt the pain of it. But they didn't actually show them raping her. They, you know, the yeah. door kind of swung shut, and you knew, you know, they brought in their tools. She was upset. You could tell it was, you know, it was. It would still be upsetting for someone to watch if that was the kind of thing that triggered them. But there was definitely like no actual. I don't think we saw that girl, the victim, naked at all, even.
0: Uh, I don't know. I, yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, I don't think there's... If there is much nudity, it's very small. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another thing that's maybe making me have a difficulty with this is, like... It's directed by Ben Young, so it does a, have a little bit of male gaze to it. And, mm-hmm. like, you know... I. Uh, I'm trying to record this podcast without sounding like the, uh, the super woke. Let me explain to you how (laughs) to feel about this kind of thing. And like, I'm just trying to really recognize my privilege and sit the fuck down when I need to. But I think what gave me a problem with this movie is like, it's just so much rape that that's kind of like it upsets me because I think it's I think it upsets me because it's real.
1: See, it's funny because I actually don't really agree with you on that. Okay. Um, I don't mean to be difficult, but... Um, no, I found, tell me. I found for a movie that, like, it was about, obviously, these people that are going to kidnap and rape a girl, but I found the focus was really on the relationship between the two, between the couple. Yeah. And I think they did that in a really interesting way, because, like, they didn't show the rape, and the focus wasn't like, oh, it's so horrible to rape this girl, which, of course, it is. But, um... The focus was really on the way that kind of couple would operate, that kind of dysfunctional relationship, um, how manipulative the man was to the woman, and what would motivate that woman to be in that situation. Because she wasn't as into the torturing and hurting a girl. She was into being in love with that guy.
0: Yeah, and, And, and the way that she comes home and discovers that he... Like, that scene where... All she sees is his naked backside, like running like a dog with its tail between its legs, like because mm-hmm. he got caught, like having sex with the hostage instead of waiting for them to both be complicit in it. Like that, I think really is a powerful moment because yeah. it shows that frustration. And then I think like right after that's when she takes the girl's makeup out of her purse and like puts it on
1: mm-hmm. and like. And ask them, like, do you think she's prettier than me? But he knows Raid how to play her, like, and he got the dogs for her so that she wouldn't miss her kids that were. had been taken away or whatever. And then after he m- murders the dog horribly, which they also oh, yeah. didn't actually show, but they more. I mean, it's more than implied it, but they didn't. Fo- it wasn't a gory movie. It wasn't, like, a, lots of tits and all that kind of stuff. It was tasteful like you said Yeah, but it's, it's yeah. R like
0: um, a serious movie should be R
1: yeah so then after he did that that's when he was like you know he knew she would be very mad at him that he killed her dog that he gave her so he's like well maybe we should be working on getting the kids anyway the dog was too vicious to be around the kids like he knew I don't know I found that really interesting the way they really built up that relationship and showed a good understanding of what that kind of interplay would be like
0: Yeah, and I felt like the characterization in this movie is really strong because even the small stuff, like you learn really soon on, oh, he's got these obsessive compulsive tendencies because she fixes his breakfast and like lines the food on the plate in Mm -hmm. a perfect sort of way, and like the character's aversion to shit because like he freaks out about the dog, and then she realizes like, oh, if I shit the bed, he'll get off of me. Yeah. That kind of stuff. It's like, all of that is so good. And um, I think it's a well-shot movie, too. Like, that opening shot of the hyper-slow motion is amazing.
1: Yeah, I felt like it was definitely very uh, conscious of everything that it was shooting and how everything looked and where scenes ended and transitioned into another scene. It was definitely, like, conscious decisions. I think...
0: My only major complaint, though, goes back to, like, I think I'm supposed to care more about Evelyn, the the murderer. And, like, at Mm. the end of the movie, I'm like, but she's so awful. Like, I don't have any sympathy for her. And maybe that's supposed to leave me kind of knotted up about it. Because, like, now I'm struggling to really, like formulate my thoughts so maybe Ben Young did his job mm-hmm. but
1: uh... <laughs> um, I didn't find Evelyn a sympathetic character like I didn't feel bad for her but I yeah. kind of understood her like I don't feel like she was played as a good guy or she. you could just kind of see how she got into that situation that she was a damaged person which doesn't necessarily make her a good person because she's damaged and made the wrong decisions, but at least you kind of understand her.
0: Yeah. Definitely. So where would you want to put this
1: on our list? Um, I thought it was pretty cool. Like, it could go in around the Devil's Rejects, maybe.
0: That's what I was thinking, too, because the Devil's Rejects isn't equally hard to like these characters, and it's Mm -hmm. more of a let's look at how dark and terrible people can be more than a we're actually going to give you someone to root for. Because in a way, even the teenage girl, like, she's got her faults, and she's not a perfect character at all.
1: I don't want characters to be perfect, though. Like, I don't think that just because someone's not perfect means that they're not good. I mean, like, she was doing dumb teenage stuff, but everyone did dumb teenage stuff
0: that's true and definitely if you're a fan of like the true crime genre that's what it is and i i think that's why true crime is so fascinating because it really is like how did that happen i can't believe that um Mm -hmm. have you ever read about the lululemon murders
1: no i haven't
0: oh betty it's so cool there's a book about it i can't remember the i haven't read the book yet i've just you know done a lot of wikipedia and podcast research but this girl was brutally murdered and tortured in a lululemon um athletic store and like the main suspect was the co-worker who was also supposed you know allegedly tortured and kidnapped and like they were looking for the missing murderer and like just the ideas about like Weird. why this girl killed her manager Like all of that stuff. It's really fascinating.
1: Yeah, I I just wrote that down because that definitely sounds like something I want to read about.
0: Yeah, defo recommend that one. So, right above... I don't know if it goes above Devil's Rejects because I feel like that's got more moments to it that are memorable than this. This is kind of like... I feel like I'll be scrolling through Instagram in two weeks and just comment that was a tough to watch movie and just move on
1: yeah um, The Devil's Rejects definitely had more disturbing parts to me like parts yeah. that stuck with me this one I just thought like, like I said it was cool I liked the take of it but it wasn't you know I'm not going to watch it a hundred times
0: yeah so would you say this movie is better than The Grudge which is a couple slots below
1: yeah I'm not a Grudge fan
0: yeah, that movie's hot trash. That movie <laughs> is very tired.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, so now it's the case of above or below Maniac Cop 2.
1: I haven't seen Maniac Cop 2. Um... So
0: you don't have to see Maniac Cop 1 to see Maniac Cop 2. Um, just <laughs> I feel a, a like a without recap. even seeing
1: it, I can imagine its quality <laughs> like just from the title. So <laughs> let me just say
0: this, and this maybe will help you in ranking it. Maniac Cop 2 has an original rap in the credits where rappers talk about shooting a maniac cop who's a ghost cop who is, you know, being overly brutal and killing people with an Uzi.
1: I mean, that actually, yeah, that keeps Maniac Cop above it for me. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's fair. (laughs) Definitely,
0: I would watch Maniac Cop 2 a lot more than Hounds of Love. But look, this is a really good movie. This is like, is it too hyperbolic to say that this might be like Oscar bait?
1: I have no idea what even anything about the Oscars is to tell you the truth. <laughs>
0: <That's>, <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel like this deserves some awards if it hasn't gotten some. Yeah,
1: I mean, already. it is a very serious film. It treat it treats some serious topics in an interesting way, in a new way, I think.
0: Yeah, definitely. In a new
1: usually, way. when I see a movie like this, it is like a lot more exploitative.
0: And I feel like that's actually, it was, as much as I've been, like, wringing my hands about it, it's very tasteful, and it's it's not, you know, I spit on your grave. Yeah, I
1: mean, it definitely, it has to show you some awful things so that it makes the right emotional resonance and it treats the subject fairly, but it does it in a way that's not for shock value at all.
0: Yeah, it's more for, like, it's it's thoughtful. Yes. Yeah. So, we have it then coming in at number 43, right under Maniac Cop 2, and right above The Grudge is Hounds of Love. So, hey, check this one out. It's on VOD either right now or very soon. If you're in the UK, it's still in theaters. It might be in the theaters if you're in the US. Uh, track it down. It's worth a watch. So, Betty, thank you so much for hanging out with me tonight and talking about some movies.
1: It was lots of fun. I'm glad I came on.
0: Yeah. So where can our listeners find you online? Uh, Where can they see your illustrations? Where can they get your book? What do you do on the internet?
1: Um, Okay. Well, you can find links to all my stuff at BettyRockSteady.com. If you're looking for my books or my illustrations or anything like that. Um, I'm horribly addicted to Facebook and I accept everybody um, as long as you're not spamming me. But uh, yeah, so if people want to add me on Facebook, I'm Betty Rocksteady. And if they want to follow me on Twitter, I'm Betty Rocksteady. All right. So it's yeah. very easy to find me.
0: <laughs> yeah. So Mile is online too. If you want to sponsor the show or if... More importantly, if you want to suggest a movie to review, uh, send us an email. Uh, Our email address is rankandvilecast at gmail.com. We are also super active on Twitter. Our handle is at rankandvilecast and we are getting more active on instagram if you want to see a picture of me in the bubble bath watching uh tales from the crypt you can follow us on instagram at rank and vile and i promise you it is tasteful <laughs> uh, we have a tumblr as well rank and on our tumblr is the easiest place to find the permanent link to our Letterboxed page which is updated by our fan, Dustin, if you want to see a list of the movies. um, We're not super good at Tumblr. We don't update very regularly. So uh, that is that, but it is a stable landing page. If you are listening to us on iTunes, thank you very much. Um, Please consider rating and reviewing us. That helps us get out there to all kinds of other folks. And we can also be found at rankandvile.podbean.com if you are not an iTunes fan, which I totally get. And that way you can also get a link to our feed and use your podcatcher of choice. Uh, Ryan will be back next week. Uh, Until then, have a great week, y'all. Thanks! (laughs)